Um, the scary thing is, Lord, that um, I have a lot of everything, if I'm honest. And we are helpless uh, without the movement of your spirit, without the enlightenment that your spirit gives to the truth. Um, for us to live as people who actually function as though you are everything to us. So, uh, by your grace this morning, Lord, and we beg of it, uh, would you move? Uh, would you show us even the things that are everything to us that aren't you? Uh, would you convict us of those things? Would you free us from those things? Uh, we ask this in your name. Amen. Be seated. Have a seat. Be seated. <laughs> well, good morning. Um, it's good to be here. Excited to be up here. My deodorant has stopped working. Uh, I was telling Randy this morning in the office, about once every two years, my deodorant literally forms like a team of people that picket my armpits and say, we no longer will provide you with protection. And I have to switch deodorant. And so if I start perspiring up here, I, I don't believe really in my heart that that has anything to do with me being nervous right now. It's just my deodorant has stopped working. So has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning. Uh, last week, sorry, <laughs> Randy uh, started us off in Colossians 2, and he started a new mini-series within the series that we've been talking about in Colossians, and talked about what Paul was struggling for in the life of the Colossian church. And this morning, if you have a Bible, I'd go to Colossians 2. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at particularly verses 9 and verses 10 of Colossians 2, which state this, uh, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is head over every power and authority. And this is where we're heading this morning. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm just laughing. I got my phone out to look at the time so I would know where I am at and where I need to be at the end. And uh, my illustration that I'm about to use is about an eBay thing. And I just got a message that said I'm being outbid. <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> this is where we're heading this morning. And the eBay thing will make sense in a second. Uh, do you believe that? I mean, maybe you've heard that before, that the fullness of Christ, of God, was in Christ in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ. But do you believe that? Do you believe this statement? You, if you are in Christ this morning, you are full. Now, it's hard to imagine that most of us are not in this room precisely because of the opposite sense or feeling. We don't believe or feel that we actually are full. In fact, if we were honest, wow, <laughs> this is really happening. Kevin Vetters is calling me one of our elders. <laughs> I'm going to just put my phone away here. Can you <laughs> take this? <laughs> I guess I need you to tell me what time it is. Um, wow. This is a complete derail right off the bat. Uh, in fact, if we were being honest and, and lean into this, sorry, that's been kind of sloppy getting going. Uh, we don't even, we don't, we don't believe not only are we not full, we don't even feel remotely close to being full. In fact, empty maybe a better adjective uh, for most of us. The eBay thing I'm laughing about. Uh, I've been eBaying some, purchasing golf clubs. I love the idea of getting a deal and a sale. 
Um, I have been outbid in the last five things, like in the last few seconds. Um, I'm like the guy right beneath the guy who won it, and he won it for like three pennies more than whatever I was willing to bid. And it's funny to me because it, it speaks to what we're going to get to this morning, that my reaction to the, to the loss of this, it's a golf club. <laughs> There's like 50 million more of them available ending in two more hours. Uh, but my loss of this, this golf club literally oftentimes exposes the underlying hope that, that this little inanimate object that I'm bidding for on eBay, it's going to do something for me. If I win this, it's going to make me full or more full than I am right now. And so I can literally, I mean, it can, <laughs> this sounds so stupid, but it can really affect me, something that small in my view of am I full or am I not full. So a question for us this morning, are you full? Do you believe that you're full? And the second question, what would it look like for me or for you to live in the reality of the fact that we are actually already full? Well, before we dive into this, we're going to do a quick recap of what Randy talked about because the context of last week is very, very important for us to understand what Paul's getting at. Uh, So go to Colossians 2, verses 1 through 8, and I'm going to read this for us and then make a few kind of recap points to what Randy covered last week. Uh, Colossians 2, 1 through 8. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, and so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, and on the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. And then our verses for today. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Last week, Randy unpacked those first eight verses and really shoved us off into these next actual three sermons that we're going to talk about that make sense of and really uh, kind of put the meat on the bones of what is he talking about in verses 1 through 8? The first thing that Randy said last week was that Paul wanted to make it very, very clear that he is struggling <laughs> painstakingly. He talked about Epaphras and the time that it was taking to get this letter, hand-carrying a letter over a year period of time just to get this information to these people. That it, It's a struggle, and it's a good struggle. He's fighting for these people. He believes that the importance of this is, is monumental. And he has very, very specific purpose, and he lays it out, and we called it the big three. They're written on the board over there uh, from last week. A very, very specific purpose for the Colossian church. Uh, If you remember the three is a magic number that we did last week, the video. Uh, There are three things that Paul, it's the only time I'll sing this morning, I swear. I know some of you have an issue. I'm kidding. Uh, Paul has three things that he wants them uh, to experience. He wants them to be encouraged in heart. He wants them to be united in love, 
And he wants them to have the full riches of complete understanding. And he follows up his declaration of these are the things that I want for you. I long for you with what we find in verses 6 through 8. Randy illustrated this with the whole concept of Red Rover. Uh, Red Rover, Red Rover. What is breaking through the line and taking you captive that isn't the truth? Verses 6, he says, just as you have received Christ, continue to live in him. The actual Greek in that is talking about the continue to live in him is actually continue to walk. Continue to move forward, progress in the truth of how you received Christ. Well, when we received Christ, we received him in a place of complete dependence. We received him in a place where we placed all of our hope, all of our sense of fullness on him. Paul is saying that I want you to move forward from that place, but don't leave it. Like Psalm 51, when the psalmist says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me that place of complete dependence. May that be the place that I move out of. In verse 7, he talks about this. He kind of unpacks this, rooted and built up in him. Doesn't it seem like an odd terminology? Rooted uh, is a term of immovability. Like, we're planted. It's a static term. It's a concrete term. Yet built up is a term of progress. It's a term of motion. It's a term of dynamic. It's a term of movement. So he wants them to not only be rooted, but he wants them to be built up. He wants them to move forward in this. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. The first thing, this is the first warning we have, and we're going to get into the verse 9 and 10 here in a second, but please follow me here. That Paul states after all of this in verse 8 is that he is concerned about something. He is concerned that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and on the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now, when you look at these three, encouraged in heart, united in love, and full riches of complete understanding, this warning speaks to one of those three, and it speaks to the last of those three hollow and deceptive philosophy that depend on human tradition and basic principles of this world. These are terms of understanding. These are terms of knowledge. These are terms of truth. What you and I hold to be true. So don't miss the progression of this because this is going to make hopefully sense as we go forward this morning. That what you understand what we understand about the truth of the gospel, about who Christ is, and about what does it mean for us to be full in Christ, has a massive impact on these other two. Randy talked about how integrally these, two, these three things are woven together. What I understand really, 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 really impacts the ability to be encouraged in heart and united in love. Now, if I'm honest, uh, I can get... I can get excited about all three of those things, but most of us are seeking out oftentimes those first two. I want to feel loved. I want to be united. I want to be encouraged. Um, but I want you to see that what we understand, uh, it affects that profoundly, much more profoundly uh, than we give it credit for. And I'll say this as we kind of move forward uh, into the whole, what does it mean to be full? United in love, the second one of these things, it's different than living at peace. 
Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But this is something different, being united in love. It's possible for me to live at peace with people who have incredibly different viewpoints than I do. It's even possible for me to love somebody as a result of the gospel, which Christ says it calls us to and it empowers us to even love those people that we would call enemies. So it's possible to live at peace but not be united in love. But to be united in, in love, what Paul is getting at, it's a statement reflecting deep agreement. A love that stems from a deep shared understanding, shared value of what is true. This is what he is fighting for. I want you to share this understanding of the truth. Now, this is important because Paul, he's writing this, don't forget this, to the, a letter to the Colossian church, not just to a random group of people. In other places in Scripture, Paul teaches that the church is actually the body of Christ. I loved how Randy illustrated this last week. That unity in love, united in love, is essential to a healthy, functioning body. I don't know if you remember when he, he talked about the idea that wherever the head goes, the body follows. Uh, that a scientist could probably explain this much better than I could, but that this is all working together in, in harmony. Uh, and, and it needs unity to work together health, healthfully. So, don't forget that. That's who he's writing it to, the Colossian church, and therefore writing it to us. Philippians 2, verses 1 to 2 says this, says it like this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. N.T. Wright, a scholar, and you'll hear a handful of things from him this morning that I've read because I feel like he just puts this so well. United in love. He's saying united. The word properly governs not only in love but also the next phrase, which literally means and unto all the wealth of conviction and understanding. In other words, while the process of knitting together the church into a body clearly includes the growth of love, it also includes the growth on the part of the whole community of that proper understanding of the gospel, which leads us to the rich blessings of a settled conviction and assurance. You see, this makes what we understand what we believe about the gospel, who Christ actually is, and who we are now as those who are in Christ, full or not full, it is completely integral to the living out and the cultivating of the other two of the big three, encouraged in heart, united in love. So what does Paul want us to understand about these two verses, verses 9 and verses 10? What is he warning us to be careful don't get taken captive. Don't get pirated away from this truth. And this brings us back to our initial question. Are you and I full? Do we have what Paul's saying here? Fullness in Christ. Well, there are a few things that we're going to unpack this morning in this. The first one is this. The first statement. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. 
Now, without going into this in incredible depth, in the early church, this was a massive, massive, massive controversy. And I'm not talking about the early church like the first 20 years. I'm talking about hundreds of years. The debate over whether Christ was actually God, fully God, fully man, all of this. This is why councils happened. This is why creeds got written. This was the penultimate thing that was being discussed and, and fought over in the life of the early church and then people who were teaching things antithetical to that. Hebrews 1.3 says this. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. So God communicated in a lot of different ways in the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir over all things, and through whom he made the universe. The author of Hebrews here is making a pretty stout claim. He's saying that before the world was created, the son was there. This is a validation, a claim on the deity of Christ. The son, this is verse 3, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Wright says it like this, Paul's point is that the incarnation, the taking of bodily form by God, was and is the solid reality in which were fulfilled all of the earlier foreshadowings, all of the ancient promises that God would dwell with his people. Paul is laying out the essentiality of this for you and I, of grasping that in the person of Christ, God is dwelling with his people. He is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecy of the coming Messiah and God's promise to redeem the relationship between man and God and dwell with his people. Exodus 29, 45 says it like this, then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God, they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell with them. The purpose. I am the Lord their God. Now we have to remember this. Forget what we talked about in verses, I think it's in verse 4 or 5 there of Colossians 2. He says that he wants us to have this, full riches of complete understanding that they would understand the mystery of God, namely Christ. Now, this is the second mention of a mystery. Earlier in Colossians, and we preached about this a handful of weeks ago, this is the second mention of a mystery that he wants for us to grasp. In Colossians 1, 25 through 27, we read this. I've become its servant by the commission God gave to me, to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Riches of complete understanding, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is what? We sang it a second ago, and thank you for singing it this morning. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Full riches of complete understanding, 
the glorious riches are us understanding what in the world does it mean that Christ, who dwelled in bodily form, now dwells within me by the Holy Spirit. You see, this is, this is massive. I hope this is connecting the way it's connecting in my mind. Our understanding of the mystery of God in Christ has massive impacts on our understanding of the mystery of Christ in us and our ability to live out of that. I'll say that again. Our understanding of the mystery of God in Christ has massive impact on our understanding of the mystery that Paul states earlier in Colossians, that Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. So let's look at this. What does it mean? That's fullness of deity. What does it mean that you have been given fullness in Christ? And this is where I'd really like for us to lean in. Because we could talk about all the hollow, and a lot of scholars have a lot of different opinions on this, the hollow and deceptive philosophies that were taking people's minds captive in those days and age. But we don't even have to go all the way back there. We have plenty of things for us to look at right now, hollow and deceptive things that take us captive. This is where this really begins and began to hit home for me. And I've kind of referred to it as, because he says, depends on human tradition, the basic principles of this world. There's a basic principle that's alive and well in our culture today. And it's this. It's, I've termed it the principle of addition. If you look at TV, and don't run away with this. I'm not saying don't watch TV. I watch a lot of TV, and I love TV. But if we watch TV, what is the 30-minute program anymore? I mean, isn't it, isn't it really about, about 18 minutes of actual program at this point? And 12 minutes of what? I mean, this is why they created TiVo, right? So I could fast forward through the commercials. Because the commercials are saying what? What are they communicating to you and I? They're saying that you need to add something. That whatever you feel, like we talked about this morning, that you may be coming in here and not feeling full, it's out there. It's something out there, and if you have what it takes, or if you have what it takes, you can go get it. And then that's what's going to make you full. Everything. Guys, just fight whatever's fighting your mind right now, because I, I'll explain why adding things to our lives isn't, isn't wrong. Everything in our economy, our culture, our marketplace values, consciously or subconsciously, is lodging a message that is diametrically opposed to what Paul is saying here. What you need to feel and therefore be full, whole, complete is something you need to add to your life. That's the truth that's being peddled. That's the truth that's being taking me captive all the time. It's not something that you already have. It's something that's out there. And you better get it before someone else does. Because there's only so much room at the table. There's only so many of those golf clubs out there. And you might be one of the people who doesn't get one. I was talking with Matt Odemark, a good friend of mine. When we were bouncing this around, and he, he described it as something he had read before, that someone had told it like this, that it's the economy of scarcity. That what we really need to be full, it's a scarce thing. And there's only so much of it to go around, and we better get busy getting it because we want to be in the haves and not the have-nots. But the gospel, Randy talks about this, the jujitsu of the gospel, flips that economy of scarcity on its ear, and it pins it down like a demon cobra. 
I'm kidding, sorry. <laughs> My mind was just going completely crazy. It does, it flips it, it does the jujitsu on it. Because the gospel, wow, is an economy of abundance. It's saying there's room at the table. And there's plenty at the table, and there's plenty for everyone. In fact, there's more at the table than you'll be able to eat in a lifetime. So belly up to the bar and get drinking, get eating. Joel told me about going to the REI New Year's sale the day after New Year's. I mean, this, this, is, this is it, guys. This is like the heartbeat of it. I wish I had a video. We'd share the video of it. He said there was a line around the building and that they opened the doors and that they had all this. It's, it's basically a sale where people at REI, you can return anything. I mean, it's like I could wear it for five years and be like, I don't like this anymore. And like, I'll give you all your money back. I don't get that. And maybe some of you are feeling convicted that you've abused that system right now. Um, but they, they have it all in these things. And he said people were, were literally running in and they had like a team set up. Like you go to this part of the store and stand over there and I'm going to run through the bins and I'm just going to grab like armfuls of stuff. I'm not even going to look at what it is. And I'm just going to just have it and hoard it. And I'm going to run back to the corner. He said, just women and like yelling at their four-year-old, like, look for this brand. And they're just like, just throwing stuff everywhere. Just, just hoarding it because we got, there's only so much time and other people's hands are going in the pot. I got to get it. Joel said it was amazing to watch. And he didn't see me because I was buried under one of those piles. But uh, no, I'm kidding. I wasn't there. But sadly, if I was there, I probably would have been one of those people who looked like just a walking clothes rack. Um, But it really speaks to it, doesn't it? Get in there. Grab it. Get a hold of it because there's only so much of it. The basic principle of addition. We struggle to believe and live in the functional trust. In the functional, I'm talking about what you actually do, not what you think you do, but what you actually do, of the reality that Paul is making clear here. Christ is the fullness of God, and you have been given, have been given fullness in Christ. It's a term of completion. It's finished. It's done. 2 Peter 1.3, if you're around Midtown for any time, you would have heard this verse said, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge, our understanding of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature through the promises, through remembering through understanding the depth of what has been promised to us, we begin to be people who don't live as people who are actually enslaved to the principle of addition. We encapsulate the divine nature. We become people who are full, who live like people who don't need the things that we believe we need to add to our life to get full. So if this is true, And I believe it is. Then why do I, why do you rarely experience that sense of fullness? That sense of wholeness. That sense of completeness. Why is that so foreign to us? Well, Paul gives us, I think, a clue or maybe just the flat-out answer and the warning in verse 6 through 8. 
The truth is, is I must have in some way been taken captive. In some form or fashion, I've been taken captive. I've been red rovered. Something broke through the line. Something has broken through and fractured my experiential understanding of the gospel and my ability to live in it. I'm going to talk about two kinds of, of captivation, being captivated, being captured, uh, overt and subvert, or sorry, overt, not subvert, subtle. First is overt capture. And this is the one that probably most of us don't struggle to see where something's broken through the line. This is when you get thrown in jail because you got in a bar fight because you were so hammered. It's like, okay, something's broken through the line because you're in jail right now. Um, maybe I'm functionally trusting something other than God. Overt capture is just falling headlong into something you believe will deliver on the promise of making you full. What is it? Consumerism? My eBay addiction? Sex? Substances? These are easy things to pick on. How about relationship consumption? If I just had more relationships or that person, I was in relationship with them, then I would be full. How about hard work in any area of our lives? Again, don't run away with this, just like the TV comment. All of these things, they're good things. They're not bad in and of themselves. But when they're made into absolutes, when they're made into ultimate things, when they're made into the things that we say, if I have these things, then I will be full, we've been captured. We've been taken captive. The truth is, is that most of my romantic relationships before the age of 25, they buckled under the weight of this, guys. A complete placement of belief that if I had you, if you loved me, what I'm really saying here is, is if you could be Jesus for me, then I would be whole, then I would be full. Addition of even good things without a proper understanding that Paul's fighting for here and a functional trust of our fullness in Christ. If we add good things but we don't have that understanding, it always leads to idolatry. It always leads to the added things, the good things that we've added. We crush those things and oftentimes those things are people. We crush those things under the weight of a hope that they can never fulfill or deliver on. You're going to make me full. You know how many relationships we kill by doing that to one another? I would say almost every conflict I have relationally, if I go far enough back, that's at the table. If you were doing something differently, this would make me be full. If you were someone different, I would be full. The subtle capture. So that's the overt capture. The subtle capture, and this is important. Oftentimes, this is very difficult for us to ascertain where we've been taken captive. Satan's work and his work is oftentimes, it's like a slow drip IV. I don't even know it's there. And eventually, I just, I kind of get used to the rhythm of that. I don't even hear it anymore. 
It's almost unable to perceive. It's slowly eroding the truth in an almost untraceable fashion. And usually it takes some kind of crisis to expose the reality that the erosion has taken place. I'm going to talk about golf for a second. Those of you who golf, I'm new to golf. I know I said I hate golf. Now I love golf. I don't know how that happens. Um, Let's just say it like this. Uh, The golf swing is made up of a lot of different things. Most of the things I don't know. And there are people who do know them talk about them. They're like, oh, your hands got quick there. Okay. What a... My hands got quick. Oh, yeah, it totally looked like you didn't release, uh, release your hips on that. Like, <laughs> release my hips, okay? Uh, you're assuming I understand what that, term <laughs> what that term means. But the truth is, is that a golf swing is made up of a lot of different things. And over the course of a round, things start to break down very slowly. My feet get out of place. I get tired, and so I stop bending at the knees. I mean, there are a million things. But the impact of just one of those things or the kind of building of those things over time is the difference between me knocking it, you know, four, 450 or uh, uh, it's not even close to that. Or, you know, knocking it that long but in a direction that the hole's not. Uh, it, it has a profound impact, but it's subtle. It happens over time. And I don't even oftentimes know it. It takes a trained eye And Joel's that trained eye for me a lot of times says, I can see this, and I don't even know I'm doing it. And T. Wright says it about this. Paul does not say that the Colossians have already been deceived, but from a long experience, he knows that the work of grace is followed by an attack from the enemy. And the one regular form of this attack may take is the clever plausibility. Listen to this. A clever, the clever plausibility of a teaching near enough to the truth to be apparently respectable and far enough away from it to be devastating in its effects on individuals and congregations. Near enough to the truth to be, cl- to be yeah, that sounds right, but far enough away to be devastating. Either way, whether it's the overt being taken captive or the subtle, when the capture takes place, what's at stake is our ability to live in the reality of our fullness in Christ. And how this happens, I believe Paul gives us a sense of, of this in the, ver- in the closing of verse 10. And this will be the last thing we talk about. The headship, he says that we've been given fullness in Christ and that he's the head over every power and authority. These are interesting terms, headship, power, authority. And why the principle of addition makes you a slave. It becomes your head. You become enslaved to it. It has power. It has authority in your life. Wright says it like this. All power structures, ancient or modern, whether political, economic, or racial, have the potential to become a rival to Christ. Beckoning his followers to submit themselves. So these things are beckoning us to submit ourselves to them in order to find a fuller security. When we live as those who must add to become full, we live under the headship, the rule, the power, the authority of whatever we have decided has the, debi- the ability to deliver on that fullness. It becomes my master, 
what we're speaking here of is in its most rudimentary definition and form. We're talking about idolatry. Tim Keller says it like this. If anyone or anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, to your meaning in life and identity, then it is an idol. He goes on to say that the Bible uses three basic metaphors to describe how people relate to the idols of their hearts. They love them, they trust them, they obey them. The things that I believe I need to add to my life to make me full, I end up loving those things, I end up putting my trust in those things, which is, means I am putting my hope in those things, and ultimately I end up obeying those things. When we don't understand, when we don't live in the truth that we are full, that we are complete in Christ, we are powerless to keep from seeking that fullness elsewhere. It will not happen. Randy talks about it all the time. You got to set something else down to pick something else up. So what do we do with this? two things I would, I would encourage you to consider. Seek deeper understanding. Now, this is going to sound contradictory, but follow me. Add to your understanding. This is not adding to your fullness. It's grasping the depth of your fullness. Add to the understanding of the truth that you are full in Christ. Become, by God's grace, a student of the two mysteries that Paul is teaching about. Christ and Christ in you and I. Devour the word and the truth on these matters. I mean, isn't it funny? We're teaching a gospel one-on-one course. People sometimes have said, Midtown only teaches the gospel. When are we going to get on? Why, if we do it every Sunday morning, why would we hold a six-week class to teach you about the gospel. Rooted and built up. Just as you have received, deepen your understanding of what is already true. That's why. Because I will spend the rest of my life trying to understand the profundity of what has happened for me in Christ. And it's a worthwhile journey, y'all. Because the, the opposite journey is deadly. Seek deeper understanding. Add to your understanding. The second thing is this. Ask for revelation and conviction. Ask for it. Ask God. Ask the Holy Spirit. In fact, ask other people around you who have the Holy Spirit living in them. Where they see, or Lord, where do you see that I have overtly or subtly been taken captive and now live as one who is not full and therefore live as one who is a slave to this basic principle of addition that our world tells us you have to add to be full. You are full if you're in Christ this morning. Grasp that fullness. Beg him to explode that understanding in your life. Talk about it with one another. Fight for it. Struggle for it for one another that we would not be slaves. Let's pray. Lord, we are hopeless to do this. 
I can even hear the own words on my own mouth right now and, and struggle with trusting them, that I am full in you. Um, Holy Spirit, do what you can only do in moving that out of the realm of words and cognition into functional trust, into the experience of the fabric of our lives, that we would be a church, a body of people that are under your headship, that we would follow you and not be enslaved to the things that we believe we need to add to our lives to make us full. Even scare us, Lord, by showing us those places that we're doing that. We love you. In your name, amen.